Vishnupad, Paramahamsa, Parivraja, Gacharjash, Sotara, Shishri, Samad, A.C., Bhaktivedanta, Swami, Srila Prabhupada, Ki, Anantakota, Vaishnava, Vrindaki, All Glories to the Assembled Devotees, All Glories to the Assembled Devotees, All Glories to the Assembled Devotees, All Glories to Shishri Guru and Golanga, All Glories to Srila Prabhupada, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Today is Tuesday, February 18th. 2020, and we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 5, Narada's Instructions on Srimad Bhagavatam for Vyasadeva, Text 32. Etat samsuchitam brahmams, tapatraya chikitchitam, yadyashvare bhagavati, Karma Brahmani Bhavitam. Etat Samsichitam Brahmams. Tapatraya Chikitsitam. Yarishvare Bhagavati. Karma Brahmani Bhavitam. Etat this much. Samsuchitam, decided by the learned. Brahman, O Brahmana Vyasa. Tapatreya, three kinds of miseries. Chikitsitam, remedial measures. Yat, what? Ishvare, the supreme controller. Bhagavati, unto the personality of Godhead. Karma, one's prescribed activities. Brahmani, unto the great. Bhavitam, dedicated. 
Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. O Brahmana Vyasadev, it is decided by the learned that the best remedial measure for removing all troubles and miseries is to dedicate one's activities to the service of the Supreme Lord Personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna. Purport. Sri Narada Muni personally experienced that the most feasible and practical way to open the path of salvation or get relief from all miseries of life is to hear submissively the transcendental activities of the Lord from the right and bona fide sources. This is the only remedial process. The entire material existence is full of miseries. Foolish people have manufactured out of their tiny brains many remedial measures for removing the threefold miseries pertaining to the body and mind, pertaining to the natural disturbances and relation with other living beings. The whole world is struggling very hard to exist out of these miseries. But people do not know that without the sanction of the Lord, no plan or no remedial measure can actually bring about the desired peace and tranquility. The remedial measure to cure a patient by medical treatment is useless if it is not sanctioned by the Lord. To cross the river or the ocean by a suitable boat is no remedial measure if it is not sanctioned by the Lord. We should know for certain that the Lord is the ultimate sanctioning officer, and we must therefore dedicate our attempts to the mercy of the Lord for ultimate success or to get rid of the obstacles on the path of success. The Lord is all-pervading, all-powerful, omniscient, and omnipresent. He is the ultimate sanctioning agent of all good or bad effects. We should therefore learn to dedicate our activities unto the mercy of the Lord and accept him either as impersonal Brahman, localized Paramatma, or the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It does not matter what one is. One must dedicate everything in the service of the Lord. If one is a learned scholar, scientist, philosopher, poet, etc., then they should employ their learning to establish the supremacy of the Lord. Try to study the energy of the Lord in every sphere of life. Do not decry him and try to become like him or take his position simply by fragmental accumulation of knowledge. If one is an administrator, statesman, warrior, politician, etc., then one should try to establish the Lord's supremacy and statesmanship. Fight for the cause of the Lord as Sri Arjuna did. In the beginning, Sri Arjuna, the great fighter, declined to fight. But when he was convinced by the Lord that the fighting was necessary, Sri Arjuna changed his decision and fought for his cause. Similarly, if one is a business person, an industrialist, an agriculturalist, etc., then one should spend their hard-earned money for the cause of the Lord. Think always that the money which is accumulated is the wealth of the Lord. Wealth is considered to be the goddess of fortune, Lakshmi, and the Lord is Narayan, or the husband of Lakshmi. Try to engage Lakshmi in the service of Lord Narayan and be happy. That is the way to realize the Lord in every sphere of life. The best thing is, after all, to get relief from all material activities and engage oneself completely in hearing the transcendental pastimes of the Lord. But in case of the absence of such an opportunity, one should try to engage in the service of the Lord everything for which one has specific attraction. And that is the way of peace and prosperity. The word sam suchitam in this stanza is also significant. One should not think for a moment that the realization of Narada was a childish imagination only. It is not like that. It is so realized by the expert and erudite scholars, and that is the real import of the word sam suchitam. Omagyana Tibananda Shya Janajana Shalakaya Chakshurul Mitam Jena Tasmai Shri Guru Maha. I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Butale Srayam Swayam Rupakadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam. When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, 
Give me shelter under his lotus feet. Vancha kalpa tarubhyascha kripa sanubhayavasha patita anam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityanandana Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaura Bhaktivrinda. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit, Shri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So I don't know if there's much I need to add to that purport. That purport was pretty thorough. <laughs> That's right, serious and sincere. Um, it is decided by the Lord, I'll read, I'll read the verse again. It is decided by the learned that the best remedial measure for removing all troubles and miseries is to dedicate one's activities to the supreme, to the service of the supreme Lord personality of Godhead Sri Krishna. So there's three parts to this verse. It talks about the learned and their, um, and that their deciding or recommendation um, so we're looking at the learned, and then the next part is the remedial measures. So that's what they're recommending. And then for what is to um, remove all miseries of the material world. So the remedial measure of removing all miseries is what we're looking at um, as far as what they're recommending. So... We're talking here that the learned persons agree on this common remedy for everybody, that this is the only remedy, as Prabhupada says in the purport. And if we look at the word learned, learned means having much knowledge acquired by study. So we discussed in a previous class what true knowledge is. And we discussed knowledge in the material world, right? So knowledge in the material world is limited. It's imperfect because it's gathered by imperfect senses. I've said this before, we know what we know, we know what we don't know, but we don't know what we don't know, and there's so much more in that category than the other two categories. And material knowledge is always contaminated with the three modes of material nature. If you remember in Bhagavad Gita 18.20, we talked about um, knowledge in the mode of goodness is um, seeing one undivided spiritual nature in all living entities, though they are divided into innumerable forms. So this means that when when we're in knowledge in the mode of goodness, we see that there is one commonality amongst all of the different living entities, whether they're in a um, human body, whether they're in an animal body, whether they're in a body of a tree. They all have... a um, a soul, a living entity, and they all have uh, Krishna, Paramatma in them. And then in 1821, uh, describes knowledge in the mode of passion. It's that knowledge by which one sees that in every different body there's a different type of living entity. So this is the kind that sees that there is um, only living entities distinct in each um type of body, and that with the destruction of the body, the consciousness is also gone, that there's nothing more than the body. And then knowledge in the mode of ignorance is um, one who is attached to one kind of work as the all-in-all without knowledge of the truth, which is very meager. So this knowledge in the mode of ignorance is not really even seeking knowledge. It's just showing that this is all there is. We'll just work... um, day in and day out, and not even seek any kind of higher truth or higher knowledge at all. And Srila Prabhupada states, ordinary knowledge obtained by university education pertains only to matter. Knowledge means knowing the distinction between spirit and matter. In modern education, there is no knowledge about spirit. They're simply taking care of the material elements and bodily needs. So again, this reiterates the fact that true knowledge is eternal knowledge. It's transcendental knowledge, and that's what we're trying to achieve. So when we refer to learned persons, we're talking about people that have 
this knowledge, the knowledge of what is matter, what is spirit, what's the difference, who is God, what is our relationship to God. <clears throat> and to obtain this knowledge, they have studied the Vedas. Vedas actually just means knowledge. So the Vedas contain perfect knowledge. That's what they're there for. They're to help us, guide us to Krishna. And, then, you know, as we've been reading, that's Narada's whole instruction to Vyasadeva is that when you write the, the Srimad Bhagavatam, it should guide people towards Krishna. In the purport of Bhagavad Gita 5.18, Srila Prabhupada says, The bodies are material productions of different modes of material nature, but the soul and the supersoul within the body are of the same spiritual quality. The similarity in the quality of the soul and the supersoul, however, does not make them equal in quantity, for the individual soul is present only in that particular body, whereas the Paramatma is present in each and every body. A Krishna conscious person has full knowledge of this, and therefore he is truly learned and has equal vision. So Prabhupada's describing exactly what we need to know to be truly learned, to have true knowledge. And this knowledge is not perfect unless it comes from Krishna and it leads us to the understanding of Krishna. Otherwise, the knowledge is not really that important. So when we look at learned persons, we can tell such a person is learned because they're not illusioned by the false identification of the body with one's true self. They know that we're not this body, that we are um, spirit souls, and that we are um, part and parcels of God, and we're servants of God. They have equanimity of mind. They're not um, prone to the whimsy of the material world, right? They're not prone to the joys and the sorrows. They're equal in both. Um, they're not joy- joyful in achieving something, and nor do they lament in losing something which is related to the body. They're not bewildered by making by mistaking the gross body for the soul, and they don't accept the body as permanent and disregard the existence of the soul. So when we know these things, it leads us to knowing the, the complete science of the absolute truth. So they're recommending these learned persons after studying the Vedas, they're recommending that the best remedial measure for removing all troubles and miseries so let's look at what are the troubles and miseries in the material world. Almost too numerous to name, right? But we've got them categorized in three different categories, right? We, the uh, miseries inflicted by natural disturbances, right? That's like tornadoes, hurricanes, extremely hot weather, extremely cold weather, um, rain, you know, torrential rains, things like that, um, earthquakes. All these things that occur in nature, you know, that they um, can cause us some types of miseries, right? We discussed this before, like in a matter of a second, a fire can take out your entire house and everything that you own, every material possession that you own. And it doesn't matter if you're extremely rich or extremely poor, but if you've lost everything, you know, um, it's hard to gain that back. We had, I think I mentioned this before too, we had, um, I guess, a tornado a few months back. And I had some uh, doctor friends of mine, right? They're doctors, they're making really good fun, money. And their house was completely destroyed in the tornado. And, you know, that really puts them in a hardship, right? They have to find a place to, to relocate. They lost everything. Um, and so it's hard to rebuild from something like that. So that's a, it's a pretty big misery, On the other hand, you know, a day like yesterday and the day before where the weather is absolutely beautiful and we can get caught up in the, in that as well, right? We can get caught up, oh, the weather's so beautiful and everything is great and I feel so happy. But that doesn't last because that's temporary. So if our happiness is based on something that's temporary, right? In Texas, we have a saying that if you don't like the weather, give it a few moments, it'll change. Well, that's even if you do like the weather, it's going to change in a few moments, right? 
we get those days where it's like 75 degrees and then by nighttime it's 30 degrees um, and it drops down just like that. So, you know, change in the material world is like that. That's very um, obvious. But um, for as an everyday thing, we have to realize that we can't depend our happiness on these temporary things. And... There's miseries that are inflicted by other living entities. That's easily, like, explainable, right? We cause each other miseries. We get into uh, conflict. We have so much drama. Um, and then there's the miseries that are caused by our own body and mind. So um, it's easy to see the conflict that's caused by our body, right? Like, we get aches and pains, our health, um, you know, we can feel tired, we can feel good, so we can see how those kinds of things can affect us. It's hard to see the miseries that are caused by our mind, but remember in Bhagavad Gita, or Krishna says that the mind can be our best friend or our worst enemy. So more times than not, our mind is our worst enemy, and it tends to, you know, say these little things to us like, oh, I don't think you can do that, you're not good enough, you know, you're, you aren't as good as this person, or you're um, lazy. Your mind tells you so many things. And that's why it's also important to have, you know, what they call daily affirmations, right? Tell yourself things that you can retrain your mind to say, no, I am good enough. I'm, I'm Krishna's servant, and he's given me specific uh, talents and skills that I can use in his service. And, you know, we can... We can uh, have confidence in our skills and talents without being arrogant in them, in that sense. So in 632, um, the purport, Srila Prabhupada says, of Bhagavad Gita, Srila Prabhupada says, the perfect transcendentalist knows that the living being who is conditioned by the modes of material nature is subject to the three, threefold miseries due to forgetfulness of his relationship with Krishna. So it's our relationship, when we forget that relationship with Krishna, we're then more subjected to these threefold miseries. And that forgetfulness is the cause of our distress. So the best way to remove this distress is to remember, is to remember that we are um, servants of Krishna and we have an eternal relationship with him. So... Once we realize that, then we can spend our lives dedicating ourselves to him. And that's the, that's the remedy that's recommended, to dedicate one's activities to the service of the Supreme. So what does that mean, to dedicate one's activities? Since I actually have a little bit of an audience, I'm going to ask for some participation. <laughs> so what, what does it mean to you to dedicate um, your life to Krishna, to the Supreme. Motive? Want to explain that a little bit more? You can. Okay. So. Okay. So we can use our mind, our intelligence, our body, our senses in the service of Krishna. Um, all right, that's great. And, you know, sometimes we can think that dedicating our lives to Krishna means, you know, renouncing everything and joining the temple, um, you know, right? In the essence, becoming like a brahmachari or brahmacharini or sannyasi. Um, But in Bhagavad Gita 3.6, Krishna says, One who restrains the senses of action, but whose mind dwells on sense objects, certainly deludes himself and is called a pretender. So we have to be careful to not falsely renunciate. If we make a show of being devoted, doing service at the temple full-time, while our thoughts are filled with personal sense gratification and how we can please ourselves, then that's not really dedicating ourselves to Krishna. On the other, in 3.7, Krishna goes on to say, on the other hand, if a sincere person tries to control the active senses by the mind and begins karma yoga in Krishna consciousness without attachment, that person is by far superior. 
And then um, Prabhupada goes on to explain, instead of becoming a pseudo-transcendentalist for the sake of wanton living and sense enjoyment, it is far better to remain in one's own business and execute the purpose of life, which is to get free from material bondage and enter into the kingdom of God. The prime goal of self-interest is to reach Krishna. The whole institution of Varna and Ashram is designed to help us reach this goal of life. A householder can also reach this destination by regulated service in Krishna consciousness. For self-realization, one can live a controlled life as prescribed in the Shastras and continue carrying out one's business without attachment and in that way make progress. A sincere person who follows this method is far better situated than the false pretender who adopts show-bottle spiritualism to cheat the innocent public. A sincere sweeper in the street is far better than the charlatan meditator who meditates only for the sake of making a living. So this is pretty clear that we have to really be true to our nature and um, act in our prescribed duties and do that for Krishna. And what we do has to be done as service to Krishna, right? In um, Bhagavad Gita 9.27, Krishna says, Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you offer or give away, whatever austerities you perform, do that as an offering to me. So it's easy enough then, in that sense, to dedicate ourselves to Krishna, right? If we're working, then we can make donations, right, from the money that we're earning, If we have a family and we are raising them in Krishna consciousness, then the money that we earned is maintaining devotees, right? So, again, it's dedicated to Krishna. If um, we are, you know, we have to eat. So if we offer first what we're going to eat to Krishna and, you know, offer him back what um, what he's given us, then we can eat what's called the remnants or mercy, prashadam. And we can eat prashadam every day, every, you know, every meal. Everything that we eat can be prashadam. So that's another way we can dedicate ourselves to Krishna. You know, if we're able to work in Krishna consciousness, like we're doing something very direct in Krishna consciousness, that's great. But if we're not, we can always keep Krishna in our mind, right? We can do little things to keep Krishna in our mind, like, I remember when I was uh, working in a clinic, I would have a little um, speaker, and at a very low volume, I would have, you know, kirtans playing, so that whenever I was in my office doing, you know, paperwork or whatever, I could always hear the Mahamantra. Um, yeah, right? It, I mean, just listening is such a powerful process, and we know that music is very powerful, and it can change our mood, it can change our thoughts. Um, so having something that's very pleasing and very at a low volume, but it's the Mahamantra, can be very um, enlivening for our day. And then it keeps us remembering Krishna. Um, let's see. The key is we have to do our prescribed duty. We can't falsely renunciate. We can't falsely say, well, I don't want to do anything, because that doesn't work either. That doesn't help engage our mind, and then we just end up falling away. Um, So I've often quoted this, be who you are, but be that for Krishna. And one of my favorite verses, right, in Bhagavad Gita 442, Krishna says, the doubts which have arisen in your heart out of ignorance should be slashed by the weapon of knowledge. Armed with yoga, Oh, Arjuna, stand and fight. Right? It's such a powerful verse. Because um, knowledge here is a weapon that can slash our doubts. And we just discussed what is what is uh, knowledge. And if we want to discuss doubts a little bit more, that doubts that we have, doubts and fears, comes from that forgetfulness of our relationship with God. So when we remember him, it easily slashes that doubt and fear that we may have. And then he says, armed with yoga, stand and fight, which is a very powerful statement, but it almost seems contradictory, right? Because we think of yoga as being calm and meditative and, you know, peaceful and, um, you know, it's about breath work, it's about controlling the mind. 
But here Krishna is saying armed with yoga. And what he means here is with your duty, with your knowledge. Yoga means yoke to connect, right? So we're connecting to Krishna. So with this knowledge about connection, fight, do your duty. So we can remember this every day when we're doing our duty, is that we're armed with this knowledge of Krishna and this weapon of knowledge can help slash our doubts and fears. And with that, we can fight and do our duty, right? So our fighting may not be as Arjuna's was, which is, you know, to pick up a weapon and actually fight in a battle. Our fight can be um, against Maya, against illusion, against material, right, material entanglements against our mind, right? And so in order to do that, we have to do our duty, which is, you know, stand and fight, which is if we are a doctor, then we have to go to work as a doctor and see patients and treat them. And if we're a street sweeper, right, we have to sweep the streets very nicely. But all the while we're thinking of Krishna and dedicating our lives to him. And we can, there's, you know, simple ways that we can dedicate our lives, right? We talked about how hearing is very powerful. So we can start our day off by reading from Prabhupada's books, you know, Krishna book, Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, Chaitanya Charitamrita. There's so many books that we can read from. We can just set some time aside to read and then chant um, mantra meditation with the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. You know, we want to do that in a meditative state where we're really focusing our attention on the mantra with the intention of, you know, remembering Krishna all day long. And then we can associate with devotees. We can have friends that are also on this same path and we can, you know, engage with them sometime during the day. Um, we have such great technology that we have so many ways to communicate with people, right? We've got text messages, we've got Facebook, we've got Facebook Messenger, we've got WhatsApp, we've got Skype, we've got um, so many others, right? Uh, so there's so many ways that we can reach out, and then the, the best is in person, right? We can go and hang out with a friend, have lunch, or um you know, do something in the evening with uh, another devotee. And if we are a family and our family is also devotees, then just hanging out with our family is also associating with devotees. We talked about honoring prashadam. You know, if we offer everything that we eat before we eat it, then everything we eat is prashadam. And it doesn't have to be fancy, right? If all you can do is cut up fruit and offer fruit, then that's what you do. I mean, I don't cook, but I offer salads, you know, raw. Everything's raw, but... I still offer it. And then, you know, if we have time, we can also engage in some service to Krishna. You know, if you're Brahmin initiated, you can do some deity service. If you're not, then you can... There's always service that needs to be done at the temple. Um, there's always that we can do. We can also um, donate um, money to Krishna for the cause of Krishna consciousness, right? There's always things that need repair, that need mending, updating. Um, we have a Sunday feast that you can donate to. And it's, you know, it's said across a lot of different religions that um, tithing, right? Tithing is a very important part of that spiritual process. And it's usually recommended about 10%. You know, in some of Prabhupada's books, he says 50% of our earnings. But 10% is also uh, one of the recommended amounts. If you can give 50%, please do, right? Um, I know when I'm looking at, um, as I'm building a practice, and you know, you, you kind of set up goals of how much you want to earn and what you want to accomplish. And of course, the money is not the important part. Right? The important part for me is to fulfill my duty and feel fulfilled in um, what I'm doing. And, of course, though, I need money to sustain myself, right? To be able to pay rent, to pay the bills, to eat, to, you know, these kinds of things. So I have to think, okay, I need this much just to sustain myself, but let me make sure I'm earning at least 
50% more because that way I have that much cushion to donate, right? So if I know that my cost of living is, let's just say, you know, I don't know, $5,000, then if I look at a, a goal of a month, if I look at a goal of earning $10,000 a month, then I have 50% to donate. Um, if I look at, you know, I've only earned this much, but my intention is to donate, then I can start working on, on building that. So that's for me personally. Sometimes we don't have that option because we have a job and we earn what we earn. But we can still find ways to um, to cut that back, right? Because sometimes we have to earn money just to pay for our material possessions. I, and I've learned that lesson pretty early on when... Um, you know, when I first started my career, you're thinking, oh, I'm a doctor, I'm going to make money, um, everything will be great. So I got myself into a huge house because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And I was paying this huge mortgage. And then I also had started up my own practice, my own clinic. So I was starting a business. And, you know, pretty soon it became stressful and I was working really long hours and I was doing all these things, and I realized at some point, you know, one, I wasn't even able to come to the temple because I was working so hard, even though I lived very close, um, that I wasn't able to come to the temple because I was tired all the time, I was at the office all the time. And so I was working myself ragged, and I was barely making enough money to, you know, pay the mortgage, right? And I realized everything that I earned was going towards the mortgage. It was going towards bills. So then I decided, well, that's ridiculous. And do I really need this big house? Do I really need all these things? So I started, you know, I decided I was going to give up the big house. And I found a smaller house to move into that rent was like, I don't know, less than half of what I was paying. I managed to cut out so many of my bills to, you know, really cut back on what I really wanted. And then I was also working a job in which I was making a lot of money, but I was able to save a lot of that and as well as donate a lot of it and pay off all of my loans. So, you know, I came to the realization that now I don't have to work that hard because, one, my cost of living isn't that high anymore because I'm constantly always thinking about what I can cut out, what do I really need, what's... You know, what, if you, we have to ask ourselves these hard questions like, what is actually needed? What's wanted? And what's luxury? Right? And it's okay to have a few things that are, that you want. And it's okay to have a few things that are luxury. But we also have to be very honest about it. Because sometimes we can try to do some mental gymnastics of, this is what I want, but try to put it in the need category. Right? Like, for instance, I'm kind of guilty of that. I like to have the latest iPhone because, you know, I could come up with so many reasons. I I use my iPhone a lot for work and communicating, and, and it's good to have the updated and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the fact of the matter is it's a luxury, right? It's, it's even beyond a want because of the price tag. It's a luxury. And it's important to be honest about that. It's okay that I want to spend it and I can... You, you know, spend the money on it, but I, it's important to be honest about it because then I can realize that this is something that I need to work on giving up. But if I consider this a need, then I'm never going to think about trying to give it up, if that makes sense. So I'm saying all this that, to say that there, there are different ways that we can dedicate our lives, but we also have to look at what we're doing and how within the framework of what we're doing how we can rearrange or change some small things to better dedicate our lives to Krishna, to um, fine-tune the little things. And, you know, we talked about money, but time is the same thing, right? We have 24 hours in a day, and we can never earn it back. In some ways, if you spend money, you can somehow earn it back, but you have to spend time in order to do so. So we're always trading, you know, money for dollars, I mean, money for time. And um, time is really the more important um, commodity there, right? That's, that's a huge 
thing that we can never get back. So we have to realize what is it that we want to spend our time doing and what are we actually spending our time doing, right? So if you ask anybody, you know, people want to spend their time with their family, with their friends, um, in, in their faith, right? Maybe taking care of their health, fitness, um, very few people will say, I want to spend all of my, my time at work, right? That's not really what we want to do. That's what we have to do. That's our obligation. So we want to, if we work it to where we put less pressure on ourselves by owning less material things, then we have less um, need to work more, and then we get some of that time back. So on that note... I am going to stop there. Are there any questions? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. So um, Nandini is sharing that um, our spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, came here from India, came to the West to spread this message of, you know, love for God. And he gave us a simple process because we are so attached and we have so much conditioning and we have so much material attachments that he's given us this process of dovetailing our activities in, in service to Krishna and she's expressing her gratitude and, um, you know, of this house that Prabhupada built that we can all associate with each other in and all um, support each other in this process. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is, you know, regarding conflict, I'm just repeating for the audience and the recording, regarding inner conflict that sometimes <clears throat> coming to the temple can be um, difficult because we can get caught up in, in different dramas that are happening and our, we ourselves can get caught up in that conflict. And she was relating an uh, incident that happened in which she felt that the importance was put on um, newer devotees versus those that were here, you know, have been here um, in terms of preaching programs and the care that was given or, you know, and in that moment she just felt like um, that people that have been here a long time are not as cared for as the people that are here uh, coming for the first time. You know, I'm going to say a couple things about that, actually. That's a very common thing universally, right? And if we think about, like, um, I don't know, your cell phone plan, they always have the best plans for people that are coming on new, and you could be with the same company for, like, five years, and they have no good plans for, you know, loyal customers. And in order to get, sometimes you have to, like, cancel and then come back in as a new customer and you get a good plan. So you see this concept happening over and over again in different areas. So it's not just here that that happens. Second, I tend to find when I am irritated or, you know, I get, I guess I'm going to use the word triggered by something, it's may it's pulling on a certain emotion or a certain negative thought about myself that it just brings out 
right? And a lot of it comes to, um, you know, and I'm not saying that in this case this is what this person was feeling, but it could be feeling like you have no value. Um, it could be feeling like you're not, you know, as cared for or loved for, you don't belong, right, or appreciated. And really those things are our ego, right? Because we know that we are cared for. Krishna cares for us. And he's not going to leave us out in the cold, you know, starving and hungry. He's always going to provide for us. We just have to have the faith that he is. And that, you know, it's easy for me to say, and it's always easy to see these things in hindsight or if it's happening to someone else. And when it happens in the moment, it's really hard because we get caught up in what we're feeling. And that's where practice comes in, right? So if we're starting to look at the way we think and we catch these moments, right? You said in that moment you were like, okay, let me just take a deep breath and walk away. And so... And sometimes, yeah, and sometimes that's all you, that's all you can do, right? And that's really good because you have already taken that step of not getting into it. Um, the next step is to not feel bad about it, right? And that just comes from, again, that self-talk, right? The mind can be your best friend. It can be your worst enemy. And your mind is like, see, I told you you weren't worth anything. You're not, right? This is like, it, it's coming there. But on the other hand, you can say, to yourself, well, you know, I am worth something. I'm, I'm valuable. I have value. I matter. Krishna loves me. And, um, you know, in this moment, I'm taking care of me, right? We, it's okay to take care of ourselves that in that conflict that you had. And it's okay to do that, you know, and things will figure out. It's also okay to have, you know, given up what you were talking about. And other arrangements can be made. So it's just a matter of just realizing that we're not this body and the conflict isn't with who we are, right? It's the externals that are happening, right? Like if we're in conflict, the conflict isn't with Jayshree Rade and Kunti. It's with Jayshree and I think it's Linda, right? Linda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So the, the conflict isn't with Jayshree Radha Devi Dasi and Kunti Devi Dasi. The conflict is with Jayshree and Linda, right? Like our, our material selves, right? You forget who you are in that moment. And that's why, you know, that's why it's practice. We have to, rem- we have to practice remembering. We have to practice this not engaging and not getting triggered by certain things, right? And this is, you know, it's really, it's a really hard thing, right? Like it's, um, when you start thinking about these things about yourself, you feel, like I do anyway, I feel really like, um, overwhelmed, like, oh my God, you know, how can I be this way? That's crazy. And I'm, am I like, then the mind comes in, ha I told you you're not worth anything and, you know, you're just, scum and blah 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 and sometimes it's hard to get out of that especially when you start looking at these qualities of yourself so that you can work on improving them you have to again honesty right you have to be honest about who you are then you can work on improving that so right it's all small stuff Thank you. Right. Right. So uh, the point was made that there's there's a few points that were made. One um, about Vaishnava etiquette, and there is a certain etiquette in India and in the Vaishnava um, community that we honor and respect um, elder people. 
and, or, you know, people that have been here a long time, especially people that have gone through the hardships to help build the temple and put up with all the, the suffering and difficulties that came with establishing the Krishna Conscious Movement. Um, the second point was that... Um, I remember the third point. The third point was that we are all dealing with something so that we can, we have to keep in mind that if somebody's, you know, saying something to us that we're all dealing with something. And so, you know, if we take a deep breath and realize that everybody has their own karma and trauma to deal with, then that's good. And the second point was, Well, so I would say, I would say, be respectful, right? That's what it was. Be be kinder than you have to be, and that was your second point. Um, don't hide, right? Be bold and be confident, right? Krishna is saying, you know, armed with yoga, right? Right. And when we chant, we're trying to purify all of that stuff. That's one of the intentions that we have. So I would say a couple of things about all of that. One is that um, one thing that I love about the Krishna Conscious Movement is that we are all diverse. We come from different cultures, and we have different backgrounds, and we have different upbringing. And that can mean that not everybody has the same um, teachings of what respect is and what you know, love is. So we have to realize that, that people are coming from different things and that they may not be disrespectful from their point of view, but from a different cultural point of view, they can be. So we have to realize that. The second point is we can only control ourselves, right? And how we react. We cannot change the way another person's talking to us. We cannot change the way they feel towards us. All we can do is change ourselves. We can want them to be a certain way. I wish, well, why can't you talk to me this way? Why can't you do this? Why can't you be this way? You can't do that. You have no control over the other person. All we can control is ourselves, our attitudes, and our actions. Right? And so that's really what it comes down to, is that if everybody realizes that, but I can't do anything about everybody. I can only do anything about myself, and I can lead by example. And that's what Prabhupada all wanted us to do, lead by example, to you know, and he says it over and over. We should all be like gurus, right? Spirit, not technically initiating spiritual masters, but teachers, right? And leading by example, teaching by example, not by do as I say, not do say as I do, or something like that. Yeah. So, all right. So we'll end here. Today is Akadasi. So everybody have a wonderful Akadasi. Hare Krishna. Jai. Darantara Shrimad Bhagavatam ki. Thank you guys for being here.